The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Squawk Box. In the headlines, the Fed restricts banks from paying dividends after its stress tests find some lenders could struggle with the pandemic's impact. Financials fall in extended trading after leading Wall Street higher earlier in that session. Uh, the money is gone. Wirecard files for insolvency in the biggest German corporate failure on record prompting Finance Minister Olaf Scholz to call for an overhaul of financial regulation in Europe's largest economy. A poor performance from Nike shares fall in late trade after the sportswear giant misses sales forecasts, posting a 38% drop in revenues as online sales fail to offset the impact of store closures. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo calls on Europe to join the US in confronting China together as he agrees with EU foreign policy chief uh, Josep Borrell to hold formal talks on Beijing's, quote, predatory practices. So let's start off with the Federal Reserve stress tests. The bank has put fresh restrictions on U.S. banks after the central bank said the stress tests show some lenders could see significant losses in the economic downturn caused by the pandemic. Dividend payments will be capped at current levels, while share buybacks will be suspended until at least the fourth quarter. Lenders will also need to resubmit payout plans to regulators, and uh, it's a policy that will have to be repeated every quarter. Shares in major U.S. bank stocks fell in after-hours trading. This after financials led the major averages higher during Thursday's session. However, Barclays CEO Jez Staley has told CNBC he is optimistic about the economic outlook, adding that central bank liquidity has supported recent market moves. The real question, I think, will be what's the long-term economic uh, impact on uh, on this on this pandemic but uh given the robustness of fiscal and monetary measures it's not that surprising that the markets have held up the way they have right now we are more optimistic about uh the robustness of the recovery today than we were a month and definitely two months ago just daily from Barclays. Well, calls for negative rates in the U.S. have increased during the COVID crisis, with President Trump repeatedly urging the Fed to pursue the policy. But Dallas Fed Chair Robert Kaplan warned sub-zero rates would hurt the financial industry. Many companies are heavily reliant on borrowing in the commercial paper market, their short-term funding market, based on a healthy money market industry. And my concern is that if you had negative rates, what would be the negative effects on financial intermediaries, including money market industry, commercial paper, banks in general, and are the benefits worth the cost? My own judgment is I don't think so. 
Uh, Mr. Kaplan there. Well, Randy Watts joins us, Chief Investment Officer of O'Neill Global Advisors. Randy comes to us from uh, New York City, where I think it's probably about one in the morning. Randy, good morning to you. Thanks very much for for joining us and staying up for us. Um, It wasn't exactly a clean bill of health from the Fed, uh, but no one was particularly fingered for poor capital levels. What's your assessment overall of what this now tells the market about financials? Well, I think it it does illustrate the Fed's nervousness about the economy. Uh, The Fed is trying to err on the side of caution. Uh, The quote from the release was they want the banks to adopt prudent measures to preserve capital. The Fed looked at three stress tests uh, in terms of the economic scenarios, a V, a U, but the one they're most worried about is a W. The W would be triggered by a second wave of of COVID-19 in the United States. And it's a scenario where, uh, in their example, unemployment goes up to 19.5%. Uh, if that occurred, the major U.S. banks could see up to a $700 billion uh, hit in loan losses. And I think the Fed wants to make sure that the financial system is in strong shape going into that. And that's really why, as you've mentioned, they've, they've limited dividend inc- increases and buybacks until the fourth quarter. Though we think buybacks really aren't going to resume strongly till next year. I mean, it seems like a very prudent uh, approach from the Federal Reserve and appropriate for capital preservation in an uncertain economic environment. But how does it now change the opportunity in financials for investors, given we've already come a long way for markets? Yeah, uh, that's that's very true. I'd say the banks have been driven recently by, by two things. The first is regulation overall has been getting easier for them. Uh, last year, they changed the restrictions on prop trading. Uh, this year, they've allowed them now to invest in venture capital firms. They're also eliminating the requirement that banks hold margin when they trade derivatives with their own affiliates. That could free up to $40 billion in capital for the Wall Street banks. And I think entering earnings season, uh, investor expectations are very conservative. Uh, I think it's a good chance banks will be able to beat these lowered expectations. And that's really driven by a couple of things. Trading has been better in the quarter. Issuance on both the equity and the debt side has been better. And the fee business, particularly wealth management, has been helped by the rebound in the markets. Uh, the, the, the laggard there is really M&A. Uh, investment banking has been slower in that sense. But I do think the bar has been, been lowered pretty much that banks should be able to, to beat estimates. The, the results should be up sequentially quarter to quarter, but obviously are still going to be down sharply on a year-to-year basis. Um, we've got a problem here, don't we? The, the Fed is delivering two opposing messages at the same time. One, it wants to see credit extended to the real economy to help uh, Main Street. Uh, but at the same time, it's telling banks uh, to be wary about um, capital preservation. Um, to what extent do you think that may hamper the uh, recovery from the COVID crisis here, if the bank, if if the central bank is is telling uh, these commercial banks, just be very careful on loan origination. You need to be well capitalized. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great point. I think one of the most important things to watch with the market right now is really the Fed balance sheet. You know, the Fed balance sheet went from about three trillion to over seven trillion in about three months. Though the last two weeks they've actually shrunk it slightly. I think they're hoping that banks will keep lending if they're not putting capital towards buybacks and dividends, but that really remains to be seen.
Randy, is this a nail in the coffin for negative rates? I know the president has been tweeting about that quite a lot. The Fed at the moment seems to be rejecting that position, but we've seen negative rates in Japan, in Europe. In fact, if you look around the world, there are a whole lot of uh, um, key bonds that are now in negative territory. But the message here seems to be that the Fed is concerned about preserving profitability for the banks. Does that mean negative rates will not happen in the United States? I think the Fed is going to do everything it can to, to keep rates positive. I would note uh, in Japan and in Europe, negative rates have not proven to be a panacea for the financial sector. I think what the Fed is going to try to do, as opposed to uh, lowering rates even more, they're going to try to add liquidity uh, to the market in the form of purchasing securities, et cetera, and overnight repo operations, which they've obviously been very aggressive in uh, over the last uh, uh, nine months. So, so again, do not think the Fed wants negative rates, and I think they're going to try to do everything they can to avoid that. And just to dive into uh, the banks, obviously not all banks do the same kind of business. Some have been focused on the capital market activity, some M&A, and some lending into Main Street and uh, mortgage origination. It, as you cast your eye across the sector as a whole, uh, notwithstanding what you've said about earnings, where is the best opportunity, do you think, for our audience here? Who's going to be making money in spite of a spike in COVID cases? Well, you know, we, we continue to like J.P. Morgan. They had a very uh, strong quarter in both debt and equity issuance, uh, though M&A was down sharply. I think the one we're, we're probably most worried about right here is Wells Fargo. That's probably the, the name that's most at risk of a dividend cut, and their operating profit is probably going to take a pretty, a pretty strong hit in the quarter. Uh, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, uh, earnings are, gonna, are going to decline. Uh, pretty sharply on a, on a year-to-year basis. But hopefully, if the markets can hang in there, they should have a much better second half. Lovely. Randy, thanks so much for staying up for us. Randy Watts, Chief Investment Officer of O'Neill Global Advisors. Uh, let's take a look at the markets for you then and give you a sense of exactly what we're anticipating here today. And the early look at the U.S. futures uh, tells us that we're a, a little bit flat quite frankly, uh, as we come into the trading session. So a lot of people scratching their head as to what exactly the drivers for today are going to be. A brief reminder here, we are, of course, heading into quarter end here. And I just want to dwell for a moment on the trading session as we saw it yesterday, because there was um, a kind of balancing act around the stress test results where investors on the one hand said, well, actually, that's not bad. And then they said, but hang on, the Fed is telling the banks that you've got to hold on to capital here and no buybacks and no dividend increases. And then they thought, "Mm, you know what, maybe not. So what drove the financials and the markets higher later in the day, actually after we got the close, had investors reassessing just how positive the Federal Reserve was in the round here. But I just want to remind you where we are for the week, because I think some of these numbers here flatter to deceive. When you look at the Dow Jones and the S&P with these reasonable gains yesterday, just remember, if you look at the week-to-date number, both of these major U.S. indices are actually in negative territory. We're down 0.5% almost uh, week-to-date for the Dow and about 
quite a similar number for the S&P. And even as you look at the month that we've had here, the uh, Dow up 1.4%, the S&P up 1.3%. Of course, the Nasdaq has shown them both a clean pair of heels. Week to date, up three quarters of 1%. Month to date, up 5.5%. If you don't like the market, what's your alternative? Well, let's have a look at uh, some of the safe havens here uh, just to see how they have been trading. Um, Spot Gold uh, is just off the run rate. We've seen a little, as uh, I guess uh, investors, as I pointed out here, uh, bought back into uh, the risk on trade in the US. The, The dollar... Well, it's having a good go, isn't it, this morning? But effectively, we're flat against the uh, other major currencies here. And the 10-year note, I think the important point to point out here, small moves when you look at them on the board here, but seismic in terms of what they suggest for direction, for risk. So the 10-year note, we saw the yield just ease back below the 0.7% mark, which just showed you that there was a bit of interest in owning a little bit of uh, a Treasury market security. Uh, let's just uh, show you the uh, Asian session. Um, the Dragon Boat Festival over. Uh, I hope you uh, had a good time and you didn't get too wet. But the Hong Kong market uh, back in business here. I think we still have uh, closure uh, in terms of the uh, the China markets. Um, but uh, the so they don't get chance to react to the Pompeo comments. But we'll tell you a little bit more about that. But elsewhere, you've just got some follow through for for the Asian session from that strong close in the United States overnight here. So let's. Let's talk a, a little bit about that U.S. story, and I'll, I'll just wander back here. I'll just annoy the director and make him work a little bit harder here. Come on, Rod, keep up, keep up. Move that camera, move that camera. Why don't we, why don't we switch to this one, camera four. Uh, the U.S. and the EU must work together to face down China, according to one of America's top diplomats. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is doubling down on claims that Beijing covered up the full extent of the virus outbreak and said Brussels and D.C. should partner to continue the, quote, transatlantic awakening to the Chinese threat. EU foreign policy chief uh, Joseph Burrell agreed the two sides should hold formal talks. The U.S. Senate has unanimously passed a sanctions bill aimed at punishing China for its Hong Kong national security law. The legislation would impose mandatory sanctions on individual officials or companies that work to undermine the city's semi-autonomous state. That bill now heads to the House of Representatives where a a bit of companion legislation has already been introduced. Uh, Did you uh, follow the travails of Wirecard all through the session yesterday? Well, from boom to bust, Wirecard collapses into insolvency after the German payments uh, company discloses a more than 2 billion euro financial hole in its books. I hear the sound of stable doors being slammed after the horses long cantered away. We'll tell you more about the official government response to the Wirecard problem. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. 
The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Wirecard has filed for insolvency and says it can no longer ensure its survival with around 4 billion euros of outstanding debt on its books. Shares continue to freefall, uh, plunging more than 70% in yesterday's session. The payment group's auditor, EY, has admitted the missing 1.9 billion euros is likely the result of, quote, an elaborate and sophisticated fraud. German Finance Minister Olaf Scholz said Wirecard's collapse should serve as a wake-up call to the country's financial regulators. What has happened at Wirecard, a DAX group, must now be cleared up quickly and thoroughly. In particular, it will have to be clarified whether it acted with criminal energy. With the filing of insolvency, the investigators now have a new opportunity, which they will hopefully all use. A scandal like the Wirecard scandal must be a wake-up call that we need more supervision and control of the financial markets than we have today. We owe this to the shareholders, the employees of these companies, and in particular to Germany as a financial centre and to all of us as citizens. Oh, well, let's welcome Annette back into the conversation here. Obviously, uh, Annette, as I say, this is all a bit late in the day. This is stable doors being bolted long after the horses cantered away here. But in terms of the EY aspect now, EY trying to suggest that um, there was deception involved here. Do we know any more about that particular aspect of the story? Was there clear deception at this stage? Well, most likely, yes. Um, that's what EY is at least saying. And it sounds very credible because if you look at how the um, the company was set up, it's quite interesting. So you have Wirecard Bank, which is uh, located in Munich, which made little money and has only 200 or so employees. And then you have the bulk of the operations um, actually via third party, um, yeah, clients or counterparts, uh, especially in Asia. And here's the problem, because apparently the revenue via those third party counterparts was overly exaggerated and was and that was uh, on purpose, apparently. Um, and that is also the reason why it was so hard to actually see that it's this fraud, outright fraud happening. Um, and that is the reason why most likely, um, yeah, um, EY, Ernst & Young, was defeated for so many years. And that is also the reason why the financial watchdog, Bafin, actually did not look into the matter thoroughly enough. We have an ongoing debate now in Germany um, that this, of course, never should happen again, and that Bafin, as a regulator, was not staffed um, yet well enough to actually... Um, take care of a technology fintech company solely enough because they apparently don't have enough resources for that. Um, I guess 
it will take now some time. And it's also the big question how much money is left. I guess nobody knows that so far. What we heard from Wirecard yesterday is that some 1.3 billion euro in loans are due as of next week. All in all, their liabilities could amount to 4 billion euros, a huge amount of money for a company which revenues, um, like the official ones, were just 2 billion last year. And of those, most likely two-thirds never happened and it were just bogus um, accounting uh, tricks. So the bottom line, I think, is now that the banks will have to write down most of their um, most of their loans in the balance uh, in their balance sheets. And the question is, how much will be left from Wirecard going forward when it is now going to be administered by an insolvency administrator? Jeff. Yeah, Annette. I mean. Where do we start here? Uh, Siemens, bribery scandal, uh, Deutsche Bank fines uh, in connection with uh, uh, handling, handling uh, laundered money, etc., etc. Uh, VW, uh, cheap devices, um, and eventually heads had to roll here. Uh, and here's uh, Mr. Schultz now saying, we must make sure this never happens again. At what point does the German government have to take responsibility for a succession of corporate failures? I guess ever since that Siemens bribery scandal broke out some, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, uh, we had an, a very lively debate about corporate governance and also a change in how supervisory boards are allowed to be staffed. Because before it was like common practice that the CEO just literally directly moved into the chairman position. So, I mean, like kind of overseeing his own company and that was the main issue here. So they moved a bit there. And now, I guess, I think regulators in Germany, I don't know where, if it's a lot different in other jurisdictions, are always a step behind. And that's a problem here. They don't really, they're more, more like a teeth of tiger, especially when it comes to bathing, compared to, for example, U.S. authorities, which are far more active. And I think that is, ha, has to change now. They need more staff. They need to be more attractive also for staff. And also they need to have more legal ways to really go into these companies. And that was one big issue with Wirecard because Bakken only had a say over this tiny little Wirecard bank in Munich, but not over those third-party counterparties, um, which uh, apparently made the bulk of the money. So I guess this debate now, uh, hopefully it's not going away just just like that, but things have to change. I'm completely with you there. And that's it. We're going to wrap it up with you. Germany, of course, not the only country that's had a share of uh, corporate problems over the years, but it it is extraordinary how often we just seem to be hearing this must never happen again and then we have another situation. Anyway, we'll come back to the story and Annette, thank you. We'll see you a little later on in the programme. Lufthansa shareholders have endorsed the German government's 9 billion euro bailout package rescuing the beleaguered carrier from the brink of collapse. 98% of investors back the proposal which will see Berlin acquire a 20% stake and two board seats. Lufthansa shares closed Thursday session 7% higher in anticipation of the vote after top shareholder Heinz Hermann Thiele signalled he would back the bailout. Shares continue to rally in after-hours trade. The German finance minister Olaf Scholz welcomed the backing from Lufthansa shareholders and stressed the bailout must not prove a burden to taxpayers. That's the 
This is very, very good news. Good news for the company itself, good news for Lufthansa employees, and good news for Germany as a business location. With the financial aid, the government is stabilizing a large German company that was in perfect health and has fallen into severe turbulence due to the effects of the corona pandemic. Uh, the Dutch government has reached a deal with France to contribute 3.4 billion euros to rescue struggling Air France KLM. According to Reuters, the aid will be provided in direct loans and guarantees, with the Netherlands gaining a seat on the airline's board. The Dutch and French governments are the carrier's largest shareholders, both holding 14% stakes. France announced in April that its share of the bailout package would be 7 billion euros. U.S. aviation unions are requesting another $32 billion of payroll aid from the government for airlines which are under pressure to lay off workers after the pandemic grounded most flights. Lawmakers have already granted a $32 billion aid package to the industry, helping carriers keep employees until the end of September. But the unions fear the previous plan is not enough to avoid massive layoffs and want to extend the cover until the end of March 2021. Chief executives from major U.S. airlines are scheduled to hold a meeting with White House officials today. According to Reuters, the talks are expected to cover potential EU restrictions on U.S. travelers. This comes as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the U.S. and EU will look for ways to move away from travel measures between Europe and America. We deny travel uh, to Europe and, and vice versa. That's the posture that we all sit in now. And I think we're all taking seriously the need to uh, figure out how to get this open. We need to get our global economy back going again. Liverpool has secured its first league title in 30 years after a loss uh, by closest rivals Manchester City confirmed the championship. Thousands of fans gathered to celebrate at the football club's Anfield Stadium despite calls by the team to stay at home due to coronavirus. Does that look like social distancing to you? I'm not so sure here, but uh, obviously they felt they had reasons to uh, breach the guidelines. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.